the seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras, and now your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we provide you ancient wisdom for self-healing, self-realization, and abundance. So our guest for today is a spiritual guide, social reformer, and educationist who was born into a Muslim family on November 6, 1949 in Thiruvananda Puram, Kerala. His transformational journey from a young boy to a living yogi is a fascinating story symbolized by a single-minded discipline and dedication. Entranced by mystical stories of Sufi saints and a brief encounter, with numinous Swami at a relatively young age, he was not only drawn to the truth, but also the compelling landscape of the snow-clad Himalayas. Traveling extensively until the present day, he has quietly gone about his life's mission, teaching and guiding people as per his master's instructions, quality, not quantity. Spiritual evolution is individual and cannot be a mass phenomenon. No meditation technique franchises can do much good. Each individual is special no poster blitz and poster wars when your work starts so action try please welcome shri m so shri m thank you so much for joining me today and it's so exciting to have you now we usually begin every session with an inspirational quote but i know that you start your own sessions with a mantra a guru mantra so, do you mind sharing that Guru Mantra with us and also the significance of that mantra before your teachings and your uh, satsangs? Okay. So, uh, the Guru Mantra which I chant uh, before uh, any satsang interaction. It's not a new mantra, it's an ancient mantra. The mantra is Akhanda Mandalakaram. Vyaptam yen characharam, tatpadam darshidam yen tasmaishi guruvedam, ajnana timirandasya jnananjanam shalakaya, takshuru militam yen tasmaishi guruvedam, gurur brahma, gurur vishnu, gurur devo maheshwara, gurur sakshat parabdham tasmaishi guruvedam. This is the mantra. Um, well, it's if you ask me for the significance of the mantra, because if you take each word and try to explain, it's probably the entire satsang that we're going to have. So, I'll just give you a rough idea. Akhanda Mandalakara means the universe with all its indivisible, one whole, holistic universe. Vyaptam Yenicharacharam. This Guru that I bow down to is the supreme reality which pervades and moves in this entire universe with its different mandalas, the Milky Way. Tatparam Darshidam. So that Guru I bow down 
to the supreme teacher who is all pervading, who is Ishra himself. This guru, to the feet of this guru, I go down. One, Ajnana Timirandasya Jnananjanam Shalakaya. It means you are the one who gave me the corellium to put in my eyes by which I could understand the wisdom of the ancient Vedas. Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjanam Shalakaya. Takshuru Militam Venatasmai Sri Guru. That Guru who gave me the sight to see that which is beyond, to his feet I bow down. Guru, it's also the Supreme Being who is Brahma, Vishnu, and Creator, the Preserver, and the Destroyer to whom I bow down. So for me, Satguru is God Himself. Mm. I sometimes get very worried when people, human beings, call themselves Satgurus. Mm. Well, thanks a lot for sharing and bringing this wonderful vibration into the beginning of our interview. And we have so many viewers who are joining us and they're saying Pranam Guruji, Pranam Baba, and everyone's in this wonderful state of enjoyment. My, my greetings to everybody. <laughs> so, uh, you've obviously written numerous books uh, till date, but the one that you got started with was called The Apprentice to a Himalayan Master. So what inspired you to write that particular book, which of course became a bestseller? Well, it's my biography. It's an autobiography. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because uh, I didn't depict myself as a yogi, kind of. I said, apprentice to a Himalayan master. I was an apprentice. Mm. So, most of the uh, book is about my apprenticeship to the teacher, Maheshwarnath Babaji, who belonged to the Nath Sampradaya. So actually, traditionally, I belong to the Nath Sampradaya. When he initiated me into the Sampradaya, he gave me the name Madhu Karnath, okay. which uh, is the first letter is M, Madhu Karnath. So, um, so this was a, I was carrying a lot of stuff in my head for many years, my autobiography as a yogi, the apprentice. And at some point, Babaji had told me that you need to write your autobiography mm. so that people can understand what you went through, how you started, so mm. I was very reluctant. I carried it in my head for several years, mm. wondering, is this going to be believable to write this? Right. You know? Mm. And then, one of my old friends told me, well, it doesn't matter if it's believable or not, why don't you do it? Mm. I was relieved because it was like carrying a weight and walking around. You know? yeah. Yeah. So, one day I sat down right. and started writing and it went on for one year I wrote the not continuously, right. I was traveling. It took me around about one, one and a half years to put it all in, on paper in writing. Mm. And then good friends helped me to type it out because I'm not good with the computer. And finally we had the book ready. And then I said, what is the title? Should I write it out? The Yogi's autobiography? I said, no. Yeah. Yogi's autobiography, all right. But first I must write about my master. If you read the autobiography, mm. you'll find that the hero there is Maheshwanath Babaji, not mm. Ed. This is how I started writing. 
and what an adventure it was and before i move on to the next question i just want to let all our viewers listeners know that we have a comment section i'm viewing the comment section so if you have any questions please add it to the comment sections because i might not have the right question at the right moment to ask and maybe you do so make sure that you use the comment section so i've got a lot of questions about your adventure and where it took you and what you learned and who you met and all that that is fascinating but let's start from your childhood what was it like growing up in a muslim family and yearning to study hindu texts what was the reaction that your family had to this yearning of yours this yearning that seemed to come from a previous lifetime so talk to us about that why to put it in a nutshell i think they were non plussed uh not that they were very orthodox my parents were not so orthodox in their own religion and so on right in fact my father was philosophy graduate and there was some forward thinking in his mind um but they were puzzled they didn't know why is this guy thinking about yogis and uh, mm-hmm. himalayas and sitting in padmasana we had an old uh, uh, wooden uh, i don't know what it's called a big uh, box okay. in which they used to keep things made of teak and i used to sit in padmasana on top of that and meditate and this to this boy so in general if you ask me it was a puzzled kind of feeling that they couldn't place what was going on. right mm. right uh, outside my house my relatives were not very happy with that but my parents my mother about all she loved me very much because I am the eldest and the only son in the family. Oh. So, I think she tolerated me <laughs> because of that. Yeah, uh, and then, I think mothers have a special sort of uh, yeah, affection yeah. for their children, right? But then at the age of 19, I ran away. So, <laughs> I don't know what happened after that for some years. But I, I felt like I was some kind of a bird in a cage. Mm-hmm. wanted to break through and run away. So I flew out and I went to the Himalayas. I mean, that's a long story in itself. Right, right, right absolutely. And uh, we're definitely going to get there the moment where you decided that you wanted to, you know, take action and go towards the Himalayas. Uh, but, you know, still being in your childhood, I know that in numerous videos and in your writing, you've written about certain spiritual experiences that you had as a child. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about maybe one of them. where you sort of had this glimpse of uh, of spirit of you being you know your journey in a way <laughs> the first glimpse was not a spirit it was a actual man yeah this was at the age of uh, around 9 okay. years okay at a large backyard in our house and all the boys from boys and girls from the neighborhood they used to come and play together and uh, evening by about 6:30 when it was getting dark all of my friends they went back home and I was alone mm. and at the last end near the compound wall there was a jackfruit okay suddenly i looked and i thought there was somebody standing there very unfamiliar figure matted hair tall no upper garments just a white cloth below the waist ah mm. uh, He was wearing rudraksh. I didn't know it was rudraksh. He carried a water pot, commander right. did, and he beckoned me to come forward. 
So the usual reaction would be to run away. Yeah. That's a stranger, very peculiar looking <laughs> and tall. So uh, when I did this, in fact, for a second I hesitated, then I moved towards him. Mm. And when I was close to him, I looked up because he was over six feet tall mm. and those big eyes, which I've never forgotten, even now I can see them in my mind's eye. Mm. He looked at me and he asked me a very peculiar question I couldn't understand. In Hindi, he asked me, yeah, do you remember anything? Mm. I said, nothing. Mm. I don't remember anything. Well, we speak Urdu at home, so it was yeah. not difficult for me to understand. He said, then he put his hand on my head and that was the thing. He put his wow. hand for a few seconds on my head and he said, mm. When the time comes, everything will be fine. And then he said, go back. So I turned and walked back. Mm. Uh, quite a distance to the back door, which opens into the kitchen. Yeah. And one of the strange experiences I had at that point was that I could not turn around to see if he was there. That's how mm. it started. And I kept moving forward. I went in. I wanted to tell my mother this is what happened. Yeah. But my tongue just wouldn't cooperate. So oh. this this was there for a long time, till the age of 19 when I ran away from home. I could not explain or describe this experience to anybody. Mm. It just got stuck when I tried. I gave up. Mm. So after that time, since you asked me about some the spiritual experiences and so on. Not much, but yeah. little bit happened. I had never learned meditation in my life. Okay. Till then, I was only nine. Okay. From that day, every night when I went to sleep, around midnight, I used to be woken up. Hmm. Uh, I'm not saying somebody woke me up, but I couldn't sleep. I woke up. And then I would lie down and close my eyes and see like your seven chakras, one of the chakras, in the middle of my navel here, okay. like those things you use in Deepavali. Yeah, yeah. chakras, chakra. the main chakra. Yeah, yeah. Something used to go, but not hot, very cool at night. Oh. And I used to fix my attention there, pull my hands together and enjoy. This enjoyment would spread to all parts of my body. This was the beginning of my life uninstructed by anybody tangible physically. Mm. Mm. And this continued for a long time and later on became many things. Started there. Got it, got it. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing that. And as you shared that story, that wonderful story, I'm sure and I can sense it in our listeners' body as well. Everyone's feeling the goosebumps. They're like they're there with you and they they're under you know uh, jackfruit tree and actually seeing your guru appear for the very first time. So I live in Canada. So especially here mm -hmm. in Canada, guru, the word guru has taken a slightly negative connotation where everyone says, I'm not your guru or are you a guru? But according to you, uh, what is the importance and significance of a guru in a person's life? You know, to learn anything new, mm. especially something which you're not familiar with, mm. unexplored territory. Even subjects which you don't know, forget about it. Yeah. You need a teacher. Right. 
need an instructor. You can't go into a classroom and study for yourself. You need a teacher. In the same way, spiritual peace, yeah. especially because it is largely unexplored territory. Mm. I think it's a great thing to have a teacher. Unless you already had all the teacher-disciple relationship in your first past right. life, and you don't need anything. There are rare instances. Ramana yeah. Maharshi did not have a teacher. Right. Yes, but we are not Ramana Maharshi, all of us. Mm. So, uh, I think generally for all of us, you and me, common human beings like you and me, we need some kind of a teacher or an instructor. So for me, guru means that instructor. Okay. Uh, the traditional meaning of the word guru also is one who removes darkness or okay. one who brings the secret out. Because mm. guru is guhya, hidden. Okay. And ru is a short form for rudra, the destroyer. So it could be destroyer of ignorance. Right. Say that. Right. But what I learned from my guru, my mm. was that the teaching and the relationship was more important than the form. Mm. Well, since the guru is this, my Shonad Babaji was like a savior to me. He was like mm. my father, mother, friend. Beloved, everything put together. Mm. So I do have a certain attachment to him. I'm not denying that. <laughs> However, he made sure every time to convince me mm. that this form in front of me was not but the mm. essence of what was being given was more. In fact, he told me, don't get too attached to him. Mm. The moment he found that I got too attached to him, he would say, get out. Out. Uh, okay. So I would go wander around and come back. Right. So, for me, the significance of the Guru, if you ask me, is the Guru is one who guides you, shows you the path and says, move. Okay. But if you are thirsty, you have to drink it. He can't drink it for you. Got it. So I'm noticing two things. One is a Guru is someone like a mentor who will give you the direction but will not do the, the work for you. You have to do it yourself. You cannot. Cannot. I have to do it. Myself. Right, right, right. And secondly, I'm getting that a guru is someone sometimes gives loving advice, but sometimes it's strict also. Also, right. quite possible. Got it. But that, I don't know, I'm from the south, from Kerala. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we have a saying mm. uh, which is very interesting. Muta Varsalum Mudu Nellikya, Mumbai Kaikim Pinna Madri. You know, the gooseberry, when you Eat it raw, it's bitter. Yeah. Later, when you drink water, it becomes sweet. Yeah. The same way, even though sometimes the Guru's teaching may be bitter, strong, and something you don't really want to go into, mm. but in the end, they always turn up. So I also had to pass through tough times. Right. Thanks a lot for sharing, and that's a wonderful metaphor for all our listeners to sort of take in, depending on what they want to master in. And if they have a guru, they're not always going to get a sweetened dose of wisdom. No. Sometimes it's going to be hard, but eventually when you drink the water, it's going to be sweet. Yeah. Uh, so thanks a lot for sharing. Uh, so Shriyam, talk to us about the Nath Sampradaya. You sort of mentioned that in the beginning. What does it stand for? And how did you end up becoming part of the Nath Sampradaya? 
But I ended up becoming part of Nath Sampradaya because my personal teacher, Maheshwar Nath okay. But if you ask me the genesis of the Nath Sampradaya, hmm. it's one of the most ancient streams of uh, uh, spiritual teachings which has been existed in India for a long time. Right. Uh, we believe that the first teacher for us is Adinath. Hmm. When you say Adinath, it simply means Sadashiva. And then the next teacher we recognize is a human being who is Machindranath. And then from Machindranath to uh, Goraknath and the Navnath. And then from there branches out into so many other teachers. But they all have a Nath at the end. Right. Now, my personal teacher was Maheshwarnath. The Naths have some peculiarities, which is basically they are yogis. Okay. They may be unmarried, they may be married. Many of them are unmarried. They are also okay. married Naths. But they are people who have preserved the teachings of yoga. There was a time mm -hmm. in the history of in, the Indian religious history mm -hmm. that people got so um, involved in the Vedantic teachings. Mm -hmm. that the practice of yoga was almost on the verge of being destroyed. Right. Not destroyed, neglected. Mm -hmm. That's when the Nats came into the picture. Today, mm -hmm. if you want to learn anything practical in yoga and if you want a textbook, yeah. I'm telling you, look at all the practical textbooks available on the teachings of yoga. Okay. They're all written by Nats. We don't know about Patanjali, of course, mm -hmm. but the rest. Starting with Goraknath's magnum opus, Siddha Siddhanta Paddhari, very beautiful. Okay. Then we have the Garanda Samhita, is a complete treatise on the practice. Mm -hmm. Then the Hatha Yoga Pradipika for Atma Rama, it is a Nath. Okay. Then the Shiva Samhita, it's a yogic teaching. Okay. Then there is the Goraksha Shataka, which again is a Nath. So these elaborate upon the practices of yoga. And I think mm. it's because of the Nath that the actual teachings of yoga have survived, including Patanjali Yoga. So mm. they all use that as a basis uh, for the teachings of yoga. Now, before I stop on this topic, right. I want to tell you something from the Gita. Sure, sure, sure. In the Bhagavad Gita, every chapter ending goes like this. It is Srimad Bhagavad Gita. This is the Upanishad, the teaching of Upanishad, eternal yeah. truth, mm. Brahma Vidyayam, study of the supreme reality mm. beyond all appearance. Mm. Mm. Then the next word is Yoga Shastra. Then Sri Krishna Arjuna Samvade, the dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna. But that Yoga Shastra you have to note, which means for the study of the Brahma Vidya, it is the Upanishad. Mm. Simple theoretical study won't do. Mm. You have to do the Yoga Shastra to understand through your own personal experience what the Upanishads are. Okay. So that's, so that's where the key is. Mm. You can understand, you can, for instance, keep saying the world is an illusion, I am Supreme Brahman, Brahma. You don't know. Yeah. You need to know, you need to alter your mind. If you need to alter your mind, you need also to alter your body. This is where yoga comes. Mm. So, the Nath Sampradaya basically 
concentrate on this. Well, we also have nads who are just cannabis smokers and so on. It is a deterioration. Right. I'm talking about the central teachings of NAD. Action Tribe, here in Vancouver and in many parts of the world, we are moving into winter, which means a change in weather, less sunshine, lower temperatures, and an overall shift in energy. And all of this change can affect your mood, your sleep, your immunity, leading to more stress. Luckily, Ayurveda has a solution. And the team at Uveda, headed by my friend Guni Sodhi, has a variety of organic Ayurvedic supplements that can help you experience more balance, bliss, and peace of mind. Their My Healthy Mood Kit in particular contains a unique complex of Ayurvedic herbs, omega-3s, and multivitamins that work synergistically to provide complete mood support. And the composition is Tridoshik in a way that it helps balance, unbalance Vata, Pitta, and Kapha constitutions for all body types, which means a happy you and their products come in an easy to go daily dosage packaging which eliminates the guesswork especially if you got a rush to work in the morning now to encourage you to try it out they've put together an amazing offer for action tribe get a 35 percent discount that's right just visit uveda.com forward slash action tribe or apply coupon code Action Tribe at checkout. If you've been on the fence to experience the power of Ayurveda, now is your chance. The link you need is youveda.com forward slash Action Tribe. Once again, that's youveda.com forward slash Action Tribe. Thanks a lot for sharing, and I'm sure our listeners are really, really excited because what they're learning is that uh, the rishis and the wise elders knew that you cannot just learn some knowledge through abstract forms. You need to experience it yourself. Only then can you embody that wisdom and learn what it means to you. And that, I think, is really profound. May I add? Yes, sure, sure. What I meant also was that you need an altered state of mind to grasp. And you can't alter the state of mind unless you have some kind of spiritual practice. Now, okay. any kind of spiritual practice applied, okay. not only the Nazis, okay. become automatically yoga. Got it. Going back to your life, you know, you meet your guru for the first time when you were young, Maheshwarnath Babaji, and then yeah. he disappears, and yeah. then you turn 19. So, mm-hmm. you, you have this yearning then once again to go back, go mm-hmm. to the Himalayas. When did you meet him next? And then, when did you actually decide that you want to go to Himalayas, you want to go on this surgeon, you want to go on this uh, spiritual adventure of sorts. What's that story like? Well, it's a perfectly plain story. Because at the age of 19, as I told you, yeah. I really wanted to get out of the situation I was in. Okay. And the only place that beckoned me was the Himalayas, mm. which was there, of course, from childhood. Yeah. So there was no Google Maps. No. <laughs> uh, no internet, so with railway guides and things like that. I found my way up to Badrina. Okay. I walked a lot. Uh, I couldn't ha- I didn't have money at that point to mm. even buy tickets. I walked. Right. So finally when I reached Badrina, mm-hmm. you know, I needed some kind of an anchor for physically to look after myself. Sure. So I went to the chief priest, but, uh, also because he spoke Malayalam and I thought 
So you know, he was very kind, nice man. But he said, "I think it's a futile search. There are no gurus or such great places here. Okay. Uh, but you can eat food here, and I'll give you a kutia to stay, so you can stay in the place. And so on and so. But I was feeling quite let down and, and depressed because I had burned my bridges and I couldn't go back. And here I was, and I couldn't find the proper yogi to, to teach me, and so on. So one day I decided, let me walk further up from Madina. Mm. Uh, the last village, uh, Indian village on our side, is Mana village. Mm. So I went up to Mana, and then beyond that starts what is called the Sorgarohi, where the Pandavas are supposed to have been lifted up heaven. Mm-hmm. So I decided, let me explore. Maybe there are rishis up there. So I went up. It was an evening, getting dark. Okay. I didn't find anybody. I was very depressed. Mm. I came down, very close to the Vyasa Gupa, and I looked down at the Alkananda River, which was coming roaring water. Mm. And I said, maybe this life, this body, is not fit for this. Next right. life, maybe. Maybe if I plunge in, I was thinking I don't want to suffer. So how long will it take to end my life? <laughs> anyway, I said, let me walk a little bit that side and meditate before doing anything. Mm. So I walked and I sat in the uh, Vyasa Gupa. I did sit. I went and looked into the Vyasa Gupa, and I saw that there was a fire burning at it. I am burning at the end. There must be somebody inside. Right. So I went in, and this tall person stood up, and immediately it clicked to me that this is the same person I saw when I was nine years old. Mm. It was my Sunat Baba Ji. He stood up, and his first sentence was, "Ah, ghum phir ke phir hamare paas." Oh, after going around in circles, <laughs> you come back. Right. And I said to him, "I'll not let go of you ever." He laughed and said, "We'll think about." It. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the beginning of my Himalayan saga because I spent almost three years and a little more with him, wandering every mm-hmm. nook and cranny of the mountains. Even today, mm-hmm. there are places in the Himalayas which are not on the tourist list. Wonderful right. place. So this is how it started, mm-hmm. and I started living with him, moving with him, going where. In fact, once I told him, "I'm like your puppy." Wherever mm-hmm. you go, I follow you. Right. Got it. Got it. Got it. And so this, I mean, I'm sure our listeners are trying to relate and trying to envision what it was like in the Himalayas. But you know, your story is the perfect embodiment of uh, the quote that says, "When the student is ready, the teacher or the master will appear." And it's exactly what happened. You were you had this deep yearning. Almost uh, suicidal, if I may put it that way. You you had wanted to learn the truth so much that you could not settle for anything but the truth. And then finally, in the Gufa, you meet, you see the fire, and you've pointed that out in previous videos. But usually, when people of the Nath Sampradaya they visit Gufas, they, there's a tradition of lighting the yeah. fire, right? Okay. Called the Duni. The Duni. So thanks a lot for sharing, and that that's wonderful. So. In fact, the Nath yeah, Sampradaya. We are supposed to have a dhuni wherever we go. Right now, Maheshwar Nath Babaji knew this is not going to happen. I can't mm. do this, mm. so he has specified that on two days in a year we need to have it. 
Okay. And one is on Guru Purnima. Got it. Thanks a lot for sharing. And I'd like to also point out to the viewers, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, make sure that you add a comment below if there's some synchronicity, something that strikes in your heart or in your mind from what Shri M is sharing, make sure you add it in the comments because, you know, I really love seeing like Sheila is saying Pranam, Dr. Rahul Unikrishan is saying Pranam, sir. Karuna is saying thank you for this program. I'm really blessed uh, through this by Sir M. So people are really, really enjoying what you're sharing. And I want to thank you for this, uh, Shri M, for what you've shared so far. Uh, but talk to us about your life in the mountains. I mean, you know, some people might feel like, you know, when you go to the Himalayas, it's like a nice retreat, you know, food in the morning and somebody is attending to you. But what was the average day like from morning to evening? If you can give us a picture. You know, uh, <laughs> something. If you go as a tourist and you're staying yeah, yeah. in one of the hotels, it's always is possible. Yeah. And those days, first of all, there are no hotels there. No. Yeah, they all came later. I was with Babaji most of the time staying in a cave, which is on the way to, uh, it's beyond Palcharana Paduka, yeah. behind the temple. And there in a lonely cave, Babaji was staying and I was staying with him. And my day started very, very early in the morning. Around four o'clock, he would wake me up. Do you get washed, go down, bring some water from the river and then wash the place. I became like an apprentice to him, actually. <laughs> and then begins the study. Mm. We used to have Upanishads, we used to have, and after that meditation, for a long mm. time, he had initiated me into the practice of Kriya mm. And then, um, he used to have just two meals a day. One, the afternoon meal was the most serious of the meals. Mm. But Babaji used to send me down to uh, get food. Mm. He hardly ate. Okay. Sometimes he ate, sometimes he didn't, but I was hungry. He was sure that I, my body has to be sustained. So I went down, right. sometimes to an ashram, sometimes to a shop. And they would all give some food because they knew Babaji was there. Up. Oh, they knew it. Okay. Got it. So I used to get food, sometimes so much that I distributed it to other sadhus. Okay. And then we would sit down and have a light meal. Babaji taught me how to cook. He taught me how to cut vegetables. He taught me how to make chapatis with my hands. Mm. So we did. I I not only became a, a practicing yogi, I also became a, a amateur cook. Mm. <laughs> so we started working on this, uh, and then one single meal, and I was allowed one hour of rest. Mm. Then it started. It was a tough life, and then. <laughs> In winter, it was very cold. Right. So, Babaji made sure that I had enough woolens to wear. Mm. He did not wear a thing except a white cloth. Even in the Gangotri glacier, I have seen him. Oh. And he was barefoot. He had no socks, no shoes, no nothing. Mm. So, whenever I felt inconvenience, and mm. when I felt miserable because of the cold, I looked at him and said, Good God, he is like this. He is mm. fine, so why am I worrying? <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. So it's not a big, it's not paradisical in that sense of the term. But yeah. 
Yeah. The mind was in absolute paradise. Right, 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 right. right. That's that beautiful. That for everything. And yeah. above all, sit and stare, doing nothing mm. at the snow-clad peak, mm. opening your mind and enjoying it. Yeah. It's like enjoying the supreme being. Uh, mm. That's wonderful. That's where I, I thought the significance of the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya. The real meaning of it is Shivoham. Shivoham. Mm. You know, that was my life. And from your story, I mean, I'm sort of trying to pick out your story right now because it seems like from your journey, it was not just about learning the texts or, you know, uh, embodying the Upanishads, but it was a lot of the other stuff that would not be spiritual, like, you know, cutting logs for fire or learning how to make food and doing the chores of day to day life, which does not seem so luxurious, but it was part of it, right? And I think that sort of helped you evolve into who you are today. Babaji was such a strict disciplinarian. Okay. <laughs> he gave me a, a, a potato to cut. Okay. And yeah. it was not cut in proper size. He would right. say, what Upanishad are you going to learn if you can't cut potatoes? It was a practical training. When people, young men come to me and say, oh, we want to give everything up and start <laughs> practicing meditation. I sometimes detect, may not be always, a kind of laziness out there, mm. which is a masquerading as spiritual uh, interest. Mm. Babaji never allowed this to happen. Mm. You know, sometimes yeah. we are so lazy, we don't want to do anything, but we say, very interesting, this is like mistaking Tamoguna for Sattvaguna. Okay. Yeah. Babaji made sure that this never uh, you know, according to uh, Sankhya philosophy, mm. many of the terms even used by Vedantins come from Sankhya. Yes. The three tattvas, um, which are uh, the prigunas, which are sattva, rajas, and tamogun, mm. which in different proportions are present in all of us. Okay. Some more, some less. Uh, very often, one miss. It's possible that one mistakes sattva, which is goodness and tranquility, yeah. with tamoguna, which is inertia and laziness. Okay. These have to be separated. That's mm. why the rajoguna is put in the middle, so that you get into activity. Through okay. activity, you can destroy this. And what comes after that is the tranquility of sattva. Okay. So, sometimes people smoke cannabis or do something and then they feel that we are in the sattva. Actually, they are in Tamoguna. They need to come out of that. Okay, I get it. Uh, this is probably one of the best explanations of the three gunas, whether it's uh, sattva, rajas and tamas. Sometimes we might mistake that we are in sattva, uh, we are, that we are in um, sattva, but we are in tamas because we need some more activity. We need some more work and speaking about and speaking about action i just want to speak about kriya yoga talk to us about what is kriya yoga and what is its aim if there was like one outcome or one aim that a person aspires to when they perform or learn kriya yoga what would it be <laughs> there are many points but since you're asking me i think the main thing is kriya is a practical step-by-step -step systematic technique by which you can measure your progress as you move. Okay. 
And it simply means a practice. Kriya simply means a practice. It could be any Kriya. Yoga okay. has thousands. But okay. when I say Kriya, I'm talking about that particular practice that has mm. come to me through Maheshwanath. Okay. Who was a disciple of Sri Guru Babaji, the famed legend of Sri mm. Guru Babaji. So mm. this is the Kriya I'm talking about. Okay. It's also the Kriya which Yogananda Paramahamsa talked about. Right. Not very different, very similar. Because okay. he got it from the parampara of Lahiri Ma. Okay. And Yukteswar Ma. Uh, so, this is what. So, one thing about Kriya is it's a practical step, practical method by which you can kind of measure your progress. Okay. Are you moving forward? One. Second. Hmm. That is basically done to open the channel in our system, which is called the Shushumna Nadi. Right. Usually blocked. Okay. Yeah. So, for other things in life, we don't need the Shushumna Nadi, but for no. spiritual progress, we do. Mm. So, it's usually blocked or not active. And Kriya is a way of cleaning up the Shushumna. Okay. If you ask me what is so important, yeah. cleaning up the Shushumna. And once the Shushumna is cleaned up, Whatever has to happen, happens by itself. We don't meddle too much with the energy called Kundalini. Because it is oh. dangerous. It's like a 100 megaton bomb. So you don't have to go there. <laughs> you clean up your Shashunna, purify okay. yourself and meditate in the Ajna. Hmm. And everything happens by itself. Got it, got it. So, uh, so it's great that you mentioned and you spoke about Kundalini Shakti because a lot of people these days, they just want to go straight ahead take like a 40 minute course or one hour course and awaken their kundalini they feel it's going to be like a you know simple procedure but like you through your experience have mentioned you got to be aware of what you're getting into so could you give us an overview of the kundalini shakti and our chakras and how they contribute towards our self realization if you can get i know that this can be spoken about for hours and hours together but if you can just just give us an overview of this that would be awesome okay Let's start with this. Okay. There is an universal energy. Mm. You may call it Parashakti. Whatever you want. Mm. And it is a creative energy. It's also destructive in some way because you can't create anything without destroying the old. Mm. Mm. Uh, this energy is expressed in human beings mm. as sexual energy also. Okay. So when two human beings have sex, mm. it is the kundalini that is active, but in a downward way, not in the way. Okay. I'm not saying that in a negative way. Sure. Up and down. So what happens? A child is created, and the child is inside the womb. Now the shakti go along, goes along and makes a complete walking, talking, thinking, speaking human being from a drop of semen that has gone inside the yoni. So it's a very highly creative energy. It changes a few drops of blood into a human. Now, having made a child at the age, uh, uh, after nine months or ten months, the child is completely made in the womb. This energy withdraws and remains hidden in the bottom of the spine in the center called the molar. Mm. It's the same energy that has created the child. Mm. Now it's in hiding. It's in potent form. It's not active. Mm -hmm. This is there. 
it has been called parashakti bhadrakali rajarajeshwari kundalini shakti kula kundalini and so on it is okay. same energy hmm. and so just you see the connection there is a link between libido and this hmm. in a indirect way right now for most people it's there hidden like a coil snake snake is just a symbol there's no snake out there It's a symbol of a coil spring. Right. It's there, and there are practices by which it can be awakened. Sometimes spontaneously, uh, when one has devotion, also this can、mm. need not be that you are. When it is awakened,、mm. the first feeling you have is ecstasy. Okay. Why? Because it's the same thing which is experienced as sexual ecstasy, but this one is much more than that.、Mm. It's not only in that part, but it can spread to other parts. Right. Now, once it is activated, you need the shushumna nadi that stretches from the bola dhara to the sahasrara, which is on the top, cerebrum to the spinal cord. So you need to clean up the shushumna. So that、mm-hmm. this energy, which is awakened, it slowly moves up to the different centers. So from the gross to the subtle, to the subtle, to the subtle, to the subtlest.、Mm-hmm. So it is an ascension、uh, from gross to subtle. How、mm-hmm. uh, the lowest center is called the muladhara, right? And is represented by prithvi, solid. Right. From there it. Awareness goes to the next one, which is Apas, water, the, the Swadhisthana, and then to the Manipura, which is fire,、mm. and then from here to the Anahat, which is wind, fire,、mm. and then from here to Akasha, this the Vishuddhi, and then to the Ajna, and then to the Sahasra. These are the now when this energy travels up、yeah. fine and goes to Sahasra. According to the yogi Paramashiva, Sadashiva resides here.、Okay. So there is a meeting between Shakti and Shiva. They、mm. coil around the Shivling, and、yeah. there is, and there, the Shiva and the Shakti are no more different, and then、okay. there is absolute ecstasy. That's when the yogi declares, "Chidanandarupam, Shivoham, Shivoham." I am of the nature of bliss and consciousness. I'm sure. I'm sure. So, this movement from the bottom to the top is what is meant by the what the yogi calls the traveling. Oh, okay. And one of the best texts today, luckily available in English on、yeah. the subject, is a book written by Sir John Woodrow.、Mm-hmm. It's called the Serpent Power. Which is actually a translation and commentary on the Sat Chakra Dhirupa,、mm. which is a which is a perfect textbook on the chakras and the kundal.、Mm, for your information, Sir John Woodrow was a, a, a lawyer, senior lawyer, and a judge in the Calcutta High Court. He was a British, right? And see,、right. he was so interested, he left everything and joined the yogis and learned. <laughs> You'll be. Uh, surprised to know that Carl Jung,、mm-hmm. the great psychiatrist, yeah. Yeah. studied the Sat Chakra Nirupana in、yeah. translation. Serpent. 
and wrote a beautiful, uh, gave a series of lectures on, yeah. uh, on the subject. Right. That's wonderful. I, I know that, and I've heard that a lot of these Western scientists and philosophers and psychologists, they were really enamored by what is written in the Gitas and what is written in the Upanishads and um, things like that. But I think that information has to come out into the mainstream because a lot of people don't know. I know for one that Nikola Tesla was very, really enamored by the teachings of Swami Vivekananda and he used to right. attend those a lot. Right. So, yeah. thanks a lot for, for sharing if that Jung, with us. If Jung could understand and got yeah. so interested in using yogic studies for psychiatry, yeah. uh, by reading the serpent power, so you can imagine what an impact it must have had on him. You're not a man who could be easily impressed. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So there you go, Action Tribe and listeners. Sat Chakra Nirupana. But if you want to read the English version, then the book is Serpent Power. And it's available in all bookstores. Make sure you check that out. Uh, now, I wanted to also check, I mean, since you've spoken about this journey that one can embark on from the Muladhara Chakra to the Sahasraja Chakra and then experiencing the oneness that is uh, available for, for everyone, uh, talk to us about the Ashta Siddhi that yogis aspire for. Do humans really have these superhuman abilities to, um, you know, levitate or for that matter, matter manipulate light? Because I think you shared a story about, about light manipulation and creating a sense of invisibility, so to speak. So, if you could talk to us a bit about... Yeah. Um, one thing you said, I, I'm not completely in agreement with that the yogis aspire for us. Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> the yogis aspire for moksha. Okay, okay. Or in yogi terms, kaivalya. Okay. But on the way to this, since the mind is expanding mm -hmm. and you have at your command energies which are normally not available to people, right. you develop certain uh, extrasensory uh, capacity, okay. which can't be done with the five senses. Right. Um, and these are described as ashtis in generalized in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. The word comes from that. Okay. Uh, Ashtasiddhi comes from the Yoga Sutras of now, now, we have to be very careful about this. When they say, for instance, one of the Siddhis is called Garima, mm. which means heaviness. It does not mean that the human body becomes so heavy, or that it means, Garima actually means the yogi who understands this. When he goes into a crowd, people feel his weight. Okay. His presence. Mm. So it will be sometimes misunderstood. Right, right, right. Okay. Uh, then, Lakhima, lightness. Mm. Lightness has often been misunderstood as being able to levitate, okay. which I am not uh, ruling out the possibility. Okay. Normally, the word Lakhima means a lightness in the body, a lightness in the demeanor, a mm. lightness in thinking, a lightness yeah. in mind. A yogi who has experienced the mm -hmm. inner is always light. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. But it could also mean physical lightness, which may lead to levitation, but nobody wants to do that yet. Mm. Who wants to levitate when you have aeroplanes now flying <laughs> in the air? But yeah. 
it can be demonstrated if he's a real yogi. Mm. If he sits on a weighing machine and meditates and has acquired the city of Lagima, you mm. might see that there is an alteration in the weight. Right. You could start with that and see how it works. Yeah. So perhaps at the highest it might uh, actually take people up. Mm. But the yogi is not interested in that because no. these are all physical things. Right. Interested in going beyond. Right. So right, these right, right. are the siddhis. And there is a, a, a siddhi called prakya, which means to be able to acquire what one wants at any moment. Now, oh, this, okay. is, this is because the mind and thoughts have become so powerful yeah. that the yogi can acquire anything he or she wants yeah. through proper visualizing. You what is it called again? Visualizing. No, the, the Sanskrit word, sorry, that you mentioned. Praptya. Praptya. Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, if, you, if you visualize something in detail, after a while it becomes a reality. Right. You know, it's also called Vashya, that means attracting something. Uh, mm. These are cities. So, people say Vashya means, oh, this yogi can attract uh, women. What happens is, you have a certain magnetism in you, yeah. which unconsciously attracts. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what you need, you get. But the yogi is one who doesn't ask for anything surplus. Yeah. Enough is enough. Yeah. If one moves this, moves this way, then there is no danger. The moment oh, you start okay. looking for surplus, then you end up in trouble. Okay, I get it. I get it. I and, mean, I, and I love after some time, you fall, <laughs> and the fall is very steep. So there's a dark side to it as well. It's sort of that's like true. the movie Star Wars, where you get these strengths, these abilities through your guru, and that's also there's a guru over there also. Absolutely. But then you can go to the dark side, and once yeah. you go there, there's no coming back. There, there is a coming back, there is, there is but a, it will take several lives. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Karuna Murthy says, I really love this program because I feel Sir is with me through this life. Thanks a lot. And uh, viewers, if you're watching this, we've got 108 viewers exactly right now, which is a very, very sacred uh, number. If you're watching this, have any comments, thoughts, ideas, uh, something that's fascinated you, make sure you add it in the comments because I'm looking at the comments and we will make sure to feature your question as well. And so much information. I mean, this is such a short interview, but so much of information shared by Shri Guruji right now, Shri M. Uh, so, uh, could you talk to us about the relationship between Tantra and Kriya? Because I think, again, Tantra is a word that is slightly received a negative connotation, but I know that it's so much more. So, could you give us an elaboration perhaps about the relationship between Tantra and Kriya Yoga? Kriya Yoga is uh, actually part of that section of Tantra, which is called okay. Yoga Tantra. Okay. Tantra is very variation. There is a mantra, which is Mantra Shastra is Tantra. Okay. Then there is Yoga Tantra, which is the practice of yoga. Okay. That is also Tantra. When you say Tantra, the meaning of the word Tantra is uh, uh, you know, Entra is a machine. Mm. Tantra is how to utilize this. Mm. Uh, so, uh, people have all kinds of funny ideas about Tantra. <laughs> uh, I would recommend that for 
English readers right? you should read Agate by John Utroff, a book called Introduction to Tantra. I'm saying this because you probably can't go and read the Mahanirvana Tantra or the Kolarnava Tantra. So right. there is a beautiful thing called uh, Introduction to Tantra. Tantra basically means that through living in this world mm. and enjoying this world, you can still transcend this world and go to the highest. This is the mm. meaning of Tantra, which is why it has been misunderstood. Uh -huh. Some people think Tantra is orgies, drunken orgies in the cremation <laughs> grounds. I mean, this, this, of course, there are extreme practices in Tantra, right. I agree with you. Right. But it's not just that's not Tantra entirely. Mm. This is because the sentence used by the Tantras, Jogo Bhogayate, that means yoga through bhoga to mm. enjoyment, is completely misunderstood. Ah, okay. The enjoyment they're talking about is the enjoyment of the awakening of the Kundalini. Okay. So, yoga through enjoyment. Is that okay. what I'm trying to say? It yeah. also means that most people cannot uh, give up things, renounce and become sannyasins and uh, find the truth. Right. Most people can't do that. Okay. So, Tantra says, enjoy. Mm. And after enjoy, give up. Now, that requires a teacher. Otherwise, right. you'll enjoy and not give up. <laughs> you'll get stuck there. So, right, a proper right, tantric right. teacher is required okay. who will let you enjoy and see that you go and exceed the limits and then you come back and then mm. you're you're satisfied with it. Right. The danger is, if you completely give up something and walk the path of sannyas, mm. somewhere at the end of your journey, before you reach moksha, some desire which was inside your heart will crop up and that's it. Oh, okay. Here you have tasted everything and you know I, there is nothing to move. That's true. Yeah, this is yeah, why yeah. this tantra has... Okay. And, and the misunderstood... Yeah. It has been misunderstood also precisely because of it. Now, I get it. having mm -hmm. said this, I have to tell you that in Tantra there are two parts. One is mm -hmm. called the Vamachara, the left okay. hand. And the other is called the Samaya Marga, which is mm -hmm. the right hand part. Mm -hmm. The left hand part makes use of uh, what are called the Panchamakaras, mm -hmm. starting with ma, uh, uh, Mamsa, Madhya, uh, mithuna and so on and so forth, which means that all that a person enjoys is turned into a sadhana. Mm. So that in the end, the person realizes that what you're enjoying is not important, that to go beyond it is the most important. Mm. And most people cannot go beyond without enjoying. Mm. Yeah. You know? So yeah. there are two parts to this. And for most of us, who live in this world and work and enjoy and live, live this life, Tantra indeed is a very good approach provided mm. there is a teacher who makes sure that you don't go beyond your limit. Oh, okay. I get it. And, okay. That and makes then sense. move forward. <laughs> hmm? Thanks a lot for sharing. And uh, viewers, please make sure that you have your comments and questions and observations coming in. And also make sure you hit subscribe to our page so that you are notified about all the new stuff that we are coming out with and uh, Shriyam what is coming to my mind through your story is you know the metaphor that is coming to my mind is uh, is like a child sometimes a child looks at his parent maybe who's having beer 
<laughs> and the child is like, I want to have beer. I want to have beer. I want to have beer. Right. The parent says, no, you cannot have beer. Not until you're 21. And then the child finds a way to have the yeah. beer. Because when you stop someone from doing it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they end up. But then if the father says, okay, taste this drop. And the child tastes the drop and is like, ah, it's so bad. It's bitter. And so the yearning to break rules and go beyond ceases because they have already experienced what is there. There's nothing hidden. So it seems like that. <laughs> similar. Uh, <laughs> not exactly, but quite similar to that. Because it's like tasting the forbidden fruit. Right, right, right. That's what mm-hmm. I was trying to get to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet not getting caught by it. Mm-hmm. So it's a tricky thing, the tantra. You know, mm. uh, right. the Upanishad, in the Upanishadic terms, you can call it Durasya Dara, walking on the edge of a razor. Right. So, if you don't have a proper teacher, it's better not to experiment with tantra. That's what I would say. So, so have, make sure you have a guru, <laughs> a guru that knows what is right for you, what is wrong for you. what is right. Uh, but, if that is available, I think it's a very good part, especially mm. the modern world, where you cannot cut off everything and go and sit in the cave. Uh, now, now the next question is something that I'm sure many uh, listeners will really enjoy because this is something that you've not shared for a long time, but you've shared it in one or maybe two of your uh, episodes that you've done. But um, you've visited astrally different dimensions, right? And you met a being called the called Nagaraj, who mm-hmm. was or is a reptilian humanoid. So talk to us about that story. Uh, how did this encounter transpire? <laughs> I did do it deliberately. Okay. It so happened that okay. I was with Babaji in Darundati cave. Okay. And one night I had this appearance. I mean, it's not a vision, actual okay. physical appearance. There was a ball of something like a light coming in and mm. it landed with an explosion and then it opened and there was this uh, I can still remember it uh, a blue colored uh, cobra like big, very big hissing mm. uh, and sitting in front of Babaji mm. and to be frank I was really literally shivering because I didn't know what was going on wow uh, because I hardly expected anything like that in the first place. Now, and then it looked like Babaji was having a conversation with being. It was like electric blue, mm. a violet bulb lit from inside. And then Babaji told me to go come closer because I was really at the far end of the Arundhati cave, really fear. I was, uh, he said, come. And that thing touched its foot on my head. Mm. I, to be honest, I thought I was going to die. Mm. And then it just got into that and it zoomed off. It mm. was like reading, uh, you know, like some comic book, some soup, something like that. But it was, I asked Babaji, who is, what is mm. this? Babaji said that there is a world, that there are many worlds. He said, you're stupid to think that there's only this world. There are many worlds. There are many kinds of creatures living. And this particular one is the one who is actually the head 
okay. the prime minister of whatever, or the king mm. of Nagaloka, which is called Nagaloka, where okay. all the beings are like serpents in the form okay. of serpents. But he said they are even more intelligent than us. Mm. And he came here to consult me mm. because there was some problem out there. I said, this is wonderful. You are a human being, right? And yeah. somebody comes from Nagaloga to consult you on this yeah. problem. He yeah. said, this is only a human body. I'm not any of mm. So from that day, I had a new respect for Babaji because I thought he behaves like a human being with me. He takes me around. But this is much more than what I can. Because mm. if he can give advice to Nagaloka, then mm. must be different. Mm. So, now, all I want to tell you is, please, at least now, when the scientists are beginning to discover hundreds of exoplanets, mm. not very many light years away from us, which are supposed to be habitable, mm. it would be very, very uh, restricting of us to think that mm. only this world exists and there can't be other kinds of living beings. And when other living beings and other planets need not be shaped like us, Right. People say, oh, there is, if there is no oxygen, how can they live? Maybe they breathe carbon dioxide. Yeah. Yeah, they may be made in a different way. So right. that kind of, that experience set me off into thinking it with an open mind and saying mm. there are possibilities which are more than what we know. Yeah. And then, when Maheshwanath Babaji passed away, when he was going to take Samadhi, Sri Guru Babaji, who is his guru, appeared. Mm. And along with him came a young man, very handsome man. And I said, who is this? That this is the same uh, ruler of Nagaloka who can also come in. Which means that shapes are things which, well, like some of those old stories of shape shifters. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, they're not realities. At least you should suspend your judgment and say, perhaps there is something. That's mm. enough. We can't shut our mind off and say, no, it can't be. Mm. Mm. Got it. Thanks. Thanks a lot for sharing. And, you know, it's just an opportunity for all our listeners to be more cognizant and more aware of the fact that we are not alone. We should not have this ego so much that we are the only planet which has, uh, which is capable of life, but there are others as well. And it's not necessary that we go physically there, but we can go there psychically or astrally. May I also add that yes. one should not even think that when we are sitting here, only two of us are sitting here. Oh. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to also ask you, I mean, uh, a lot of people now through the book that is written by Yogananda Paramahansa, they've heard about Guru Babaji. Yeah. And you also mentioned that you've interacted with him. Yeah. So give us a glimpse about who is Guru Babaji, how long has he existed and what is his, what is his role in the evolution of consciousness? I know this is a pretty loaded question, but if you could, you know, Give us an overview of that. According awesome. to us, mm. meaning people who are in a particular tradition, Sri mm. Guru Babaji is not a human being born of any physical womb. I know there are many stories circulating. We don't believe that. 
we believe that he is a being rather than mm. human being okay a being a self created being not someone who is evolved or become a great yogi or anything of that kind but a being like an avatar mm. who has been there since the time of krishna's passing away mm. and he is specifically here in kaliyug to guide people on the spiritual path need not necessarily be kriya yogis anybody uh and he will be there not that he is always physically there but possible for him to manifest himself physically but the presence of that being would be there till the end of this yuga till at least a great percentage of human beings have attained the spiritual goal till then we believe that this being is going to mm. and any sincere person who needs guidance will be guided by him in some way not necessarily that he would appear near okay. in, in my bathroom and say ha ah, hello not right. right but the guidance is certainly there mm. and this is the being we call bala baba ji and it's okay. it's it's nothing new in the earliest nath sampradaya textbooks is referred to as nityana okay one who is the nath who is there forever mm. Mm. and also as shri guru baba Mm. The word Mahavatar Baba Ji was for the first time written by Yogananda Paramahansa mm. because he said that there are many avatars who have come and gone. Here is one who is there. Yeah. So he called him Mahavatar, but it's a newly coined word. Okay. Uh, in ancient tradition, for thousand years he has been called Sri Guru mm. and Nityanath. In fact, many Nath textbooks start with Om Sri Guru Bhavanamaha. Om Sri Nityanathaya. Wonderful. I mean, I can I, I can feel it. Like whenever I look at an image of Guru Baba Ji, there's a sense of sacredness, a sense of sentience, as if he is looking back at me. And I'm sure that many people feel that as well. There's a timeless connection that people have to him in whatever manner possible. Need not he come in front of you physically, but there's a connection that each one of one of them have. So thanks a lot for sharing. And uh, Shri, I'm you sort of alluded to this. You said that. it's not just us two who are having a conversation there are other maybe beings uh, that might be around us now this is frightening if <laughs> but the fact is when you become sensitive right, you right, can right. see things which you normally don't right then you detect that there are other presences mm. mm-hmm. and talking good things the presences are good right. if you go into a bar you will find different kinds of beings Not yeah. only those who are sitting on the bar stool, but others yeah, yeah, yeah. are hovering around, yeah. who love the smell of liquor. Yeah. Uh, when you talk, having a conversation, there are other <laughs> beings around. Mm. Uh, don't tell me, show them to me. I can't. But <laughs> that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I feel that I'm on this journey myself. I'm not shared it a lot, but uh, I'm from Tamil Nadu. I'm a South Indian. and my grandfather before he expired he gave me the bhagavad gita and he didn't explain a lot he said just read it and it seemed as if there was some sort of a connection and ever since then everything that i'm doing the people that i'm interacting with all of that is leading to learning and uncovering more about the bhagavad gita and the upanishad so i i see what you mean there and it has happened to me as well in my life that there is this guiding force behind me might not be some other form of spirit but at least 
my ancestor so so thanks a lot for providing that sense of assurance but what are the upanishads and what is their significance because i know many time? people yeah, how much so, more time do we have we've we've got about so we've got 20 minutes i can go beyond that it depends on how much time you no, have 20 minutes is good enough okay okay if you're asking this profound question okay 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 <laughs> what are the upanishads okay now there is a word called vedanta okay yeah. wisdom studies there is vedanta yeah if you examine the word vedanta that you understand what upanishads are because vedanta means end of the vedas mm. okay now when you say upanishad uh when you say vedas mm. there are four vedas you have the rigveda you have the yajurveda as the samaveda you know that one these are the four vedas divided by vyasa and mm. made into compartments uh now the vedas when you say vedas you generally think only about the samhita portion which means mm. the hymns gayatri also comes into that but vedas are not just that first there is the samhita chant then there is the brahmanas rituals mm. then there is the aranyakas that part of the vedas which was studied in the forest hermitage mm. and from there there's an imperceptible shift towards the wisdom and the essence of the vedas which is open oh, okay so this comes at the end of the vedas each veda has a set of upanishads attached each okay. therefore it is called veda anta end mm. of the vedas Vedanta. So these are the. Okay. Now, what is the Upanishad? The very deep question. If you understand the Upanishad word, you understood the Upanishad almost. Right. Like, right. Upa mm. means to move close. Mm. Upa vasa uh, to travel closer. Doesn't mm. mean fasting actually. Mm. Upa vasa means to move right, right, forward. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well fasting helps sometimes mm-hmm. so upa means to come close okay not to close but to move close yeah go near n e a r near yeah. uh let many reasons why this word is used upa because it's going as close as possible humanly possible mm. to the truth you cannot become because the finite cannot become the infinite Mm. but the finite can approach as close to the infinite close. as possible yes. and when it is so close there is there is no finite left there is only yes. the infinite yeah uh, ramakrishna paramahamsa said like the salt doll going to measure the depth of the ocean mm. it go close once it goes inside there is no salt doll there is only the ocean yeah right 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 so right. all that you can express is to go as close as possible mm. it's also that which you start in close proximity between the teacher and the student mm. in the forest hermitages it was called rahasya because it was almost whispered student right because the unqualified people would derive no benefit out right so uh, one who was an apta who could receive it was given it in a secret way so it, so the teacher and the disciples sat close to each other 
another reason why it's called. Mm-hmm. Not the age where there were microphones and headphones and all the things. <laughs> Understand? Right. So, upa. Chad means to sit down. Oh, okay. Uh, now, not physically sit down only, but the mm-hmm. mind also has okay. settled down. So, Upa and Shad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adi Shankara has given one more meaning to Shad. Shad also means mm, stir up. Oh, okay. Shake up. Mm. Which means to shake up all the ideas that you had till now and put mm-hmm. them on the head. <laughs> like the ideas we live in this world, like this world is real. Everything right. that is not of this world is unreal. Mm-hmm. Now, from the understanding of the Upanishads, this world is the one that is not real. Mm-hmm. What is reality is something which you can't see in this world. You see, it's a turning upside down. So, this shaking right. up or taking up from the ignorance. Mm. The sleep of ignorance. This could also mean. So that is shad. Then the word ni in the middle connects the two, Mm. which means the attitude of the listener to what is being taught. Okay. The word niche in Hindi is derived from means to receive, you have to first say that I don't know. Okay. Otherwise, you cannot receive. A vessel has to be empty before you can pour anything into it. Mm. So, if you put all these things together, you have mm. this sacred teaching is called the open. Mm. And what do they deal with? They deal with the different states of your consciousness mm. and how to reach the essence of your consciousness mm. and who one really is to find out one's true identity. Mm. This is the essence of. Got it, got it. Thanks a lot. And this is one of the most uh, beautiful and eloquent explanations of a term like Upanishads. And I'm sure our listeners can agree to it as well. And that's one of the reasons why I want to learn Sanskrit myself, because, you know, just one word has so many interpretations that, and explanations. That mm-hmm. is very important. What you said just now, mm-hmm. I am trying to get Sanskrit to be introduced as a very important language. Please, if you can, uh, my platform is open to you. <laughs> really, I'm trying to do that because okay. um, then you know things firsthand. Yes, yes, exactly. Whereas you have to depend on interpreters. Yes. Many times they may be right, but they could yeah. also be wrong. Yeah. So, my uh, trust is that Sanskrit is introduced as an important language in yes. the curriculum. Mm-hmm. All universities, especially Indian universities. Yeah. Berlin already has a chair for Sanskrit. We don't have yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I feel that in parallel with the spiritual evolution, there's a sort of um, uh, patriotic evolution happening in India as well, as people are really finding out what India really is. What are the texts, the religious texts, sciences, arts, and people are discovering the truth about India in a beautiful way. And so you, people like you are doing a wonderful job and I thank you for that. Really, really so are you. makes a difference. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm just doing whatever little I can with the time that I have. Uh, so uh, Sri M, you, 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 you speak about 
the fact that you have a sense of understanding of who you were in a previous lifetime okay. so are you open open to sharing that who are you in a previous lifetime and the reason why i'm asking that is because you, you know we have our family members we have our friends close friends who we are interacting on a regular basis so my point was are there is there a karmic connection or relationship with the people that are very close to us and it would be wonderful if you could share who were you in a previous lifetime um i try to look at the second question first sure sure <laughs> we are in a family setup or we have friends and associates yeah with us in this world i personally think that they are connected in some way to your past okay and there may be some new connections also mm. which may be necessary for you to evolve to a better state of being there may be new ones but many of them are probably associated in some way to your past right okay as far as i am concerned i have written a book called the journey continues okay it's the second part of my autobiography mm mm-hmm. i would suggest that you go through this i will uh, because there is not one there are many yeah and the soul has no sex mm. so in your past you might have been a woman you could have been a man mm. uh, you know yeah. so the, the latest past life that i remember is as a disciple of uh, sri guru baba but there are many in, in many other lives Mm. the ones i remember started with being the ruler of uh, the ancient kingdom of jaisalmer much before it became jaisalmer <laughs> okay uh, that's where i got first contact with god mm and several other lives i think if you read uh, the journey continues yeah it's a rough idea i tried getting it on uh, on amazon in canada it's not available so maybe i'll i'll cross check with your team and try to get it because i really want to get it for sure perfect perfect and sheila who is one of our listeners today she's asking how are his followers connected to him in previous birth or lifetimes is there a connection over there <laughs> i think sheila is wondering if she's linked to me in her past birth probably mm-hmm. well not all okay there may be some who are and it's not a good idea to say who is and who is not because that may create uh, uh misunderstandings in other people mm-hmm. and those if i say oh this one is connected then that person becomes very self important mm-hmm. and thinks that oh i'm superior to the others it's so it's better to keep quiet about this So uh Sriam talk to us about uh you know we, we're all going through our own journeys our own phases in life and sometimes we tend to have a lot of struggle a lot of difficulty a lot of challenges whether it's health or physical or relation challenge we experience a divorce or we lose somebody who is very close to us or maybe financial challenge where we are losing a job or our business runs to the ground and we don't have any money left you know challenges of all sorts maybe sometimes spiritual challenge we feel a sense of lost uh in our life so where does this stem from and uh, is is there any significance to these challenges in our overall evolution in life i think all the challenges that we face in life mm. are meant to polish us 
Okay. And make us more evolved. Mm. If there was no sorrow at all on this earth, right. we wouldn't have become better in any way. We have mm. been exactly where we started. Mm. So take up everything that happens which inconveniences you as a challenge. Mm. It's been given to you to purify yourself. Right. If you look at it that way, mm. then you are no longer bothered much by it. It loses mm. its sting. Right. You say, "Look, to apna saathi hai." Then, and uh, it has no sting. Then you say, "Okay, come on, mm. let's go have cup of tea." I mean, for me, cup of tea. Ah, Somebody needs something else. But you know what I mean to say? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. see that every opportunity provided to you in the form of uh, disenchantment or uh, failure—they're all stepping stones for you to examine and say, "Where did I go wrong?" And step up. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one should get discouraged. Mm. And a spiritual journey, for instance, is very tough, not so easy. So you <laughs> may find so many obstacles. Right. Those who give up don't move. Mm. Those who don't move. Got it. Well, if someone encourages you, it's a good thing. If you have a teacher who says, "Hey, don't worry, you'll we'll move forward." But yeah. sometimes you don't have somebody, then you're no. in trouble. Yeah. Right. So this is why I'm saying this. Mm. That um, if somebody says I am trying hard to be spiritual, and I'm finding it very difficult, I always tell them, "You don't have to accept me as a teacher, but I'm with you." Mm. That is some really profound information because uh, you know I sort of picked up you're saying that the reason why we're struggling so much is that we're trying to avoid that difficulty in our life. But if we turn around and if we accept it and if we experience it, then I guess from a universal standpoint, as the universe is you like you already experienced it, you go higher. Now you have some different struggle because you've already learned to embody and accept it. So. Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing that perspective. I think it's really, really useful. And uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners are like uh, Guruji Shriyam. You found your guru when you were 19 years old, or actually before that, when you were a child. What about what about us? I'm, you know, somebody might say I'm 35 or 45 or 55, but I still haven't found my guru. And it seems like with the internet nowadays, it's so easy for you know little fake gurus or You know, charlatans to charge people thousands and thousands of dollars, promising spiritual evolution and ascendance. So, how do we sort of decipher who is right, who is wrong, and how do we find our path, or maybe our guru? What should we look for? So, it's very simple. Don't worry about when, at what age, a particular person like myself found the guru. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Different people's evolution is in a different way. Okay. So you may not have found out. Maybe mm. it's possible in some cases where you're about to die. You're a very sincere spiritual aspirant. You haven't found a teacher. You're mm. struggling, and then we're about to die. The teacher comes, one shot, and you're there. I mean, this is also possible. Right. right Nobody right. knows. Nobody mm. can be sure. Mm. So till that time, mm. try to read whatever information is available. Mm. Try to practice in whichever way you can. Mm. And if you're looking for a teacher, examine carefully. Don't mm. be taken aback by appearances. Right. Watch right. carefully and see if the teacher wants to give you something or take away your checkbook. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, this is a 
very practical criteria. Mm. And uh, is the teacher promising you a BMW or is he asking you to move towards the spiritual It's a symbol, metaphor, what I mean right. to say. And if you're really sincere in mm. your spiritual search, I am absolutely sure that the teacher will somehow find you. Got it. So there you go, Action Tribe and listeners. If you are absolutely sincere, if you have the faith when you with you, and if you do not give up, then the teacher will appear. That is for I'm, sure. For, I'm very sure about this. Mm. Mm. And the teacher, how he appears, what he does, or she right. appears, or what she does, is something unpredictable. You can't mm. stereotype anything. Mm. And Sri, I'm based on what you've shared so far, based on the stories that you've shared, based on all the insights that you've shared with us, which you've shared a lot of information. What is that one action step, or if I put, if I may put it, kriya step, uh, that you would recommend for our listeners that they can do something simple that they can do maybe after listening to this episode today, tomorrow? <laughs> I would suggest that in the middle of all this, you may have doubts. It doesn't matter, but start some kind of sitting down which you can do every day at least for 10 minutes or 15 minutes where you keep this time during the day and say this time I will only do this which is sit down and look with it. You have to keep that time away as important as any other thing that you do and start a practice. It doesn't require a guru to do that and there are simple practices like Sitting down first, going down, thanking the earth and the supreme being for all that you have. Thankfulness is a very important part of spiritual progress. And then just closing your eyes and watching your breath as they do in Vipassana. You don't control your breath. Mm. As you inhale, give complete attention to your inhaling. As you exhale, give complete attention to your exhaling. This inhalation and exhalation should go on and you should be watching it carefully. Normally, we don't give any attention to your breathing. Mm. Give attention to your breath. And when you breathe in, I'm teaching you something which is basically part of it. When you take your breath in, in your mind, chant the sound of hum. Mm. And when you're exhaling, in your mind, mentally, chant the sound of thaw. So it becomes hum, or hum, or, or if you prefer so hum, just connect the sound with your breathing. And don't control your breath, allow it to be normal. If you do this for 5 to 10 minutes, you'll see that your mind is no more distracted, it is kind mm -hmm. of sitting down. And then you can sit down quietly at that point and fix your attention in the middle of your eyebrows. Just knock a few times. Do this for a few minutes. Every morning. And then carry on with your life. Time will come when you begin to enjoy it. When you begin to enjoy it, nobody can stop it. And what is required after that will come. I think it's not an impossible task. Well, thanks a lot for sharing, Shri M. Action Tribe, to access the show notes for this episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 352. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 352. 
And if you're enjoying this on YouTube, then make sure that you hit subscribe and you hit the bell notification so that you stay updated about all the new shows that we have in store for you. Once again, hit the subscribe button. And uh, I hope you're enjoying today's session as much as I have. And now you have some thoughts or some ideas to ponder upon today or for the rest of this week. We're finding out that energy is all there is, energy around us, but more importantly, energy within us. It's time to really go inwards, to experience the silence, subtle energy flowing within and discover who we truly are. There are a lot of energies that are influencing us, like we're finding out today, our tendencies, our constitution, our karma, our prana energy. So it's time to relax a bit and stop worrying about everything working out as planned. Because if we focus on our own dharma, on our own path of yoga, then the universe will provide for us. Because as Joseph Campbell, somebody who also loved the Bhagavad Gita once put, we must be willing to let go of the life we have planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. So, uh, Sriyam, we've come to the last round, which is sort of like a rapid fire round, which has only four questions, uh, but sort of like a rapid fire styled uh, session so that our listeners can take note and take action. Uh, so, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I think it came not from Mahishwanath Bhavashi, from Dale Carnegie, who wrote, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. <laughs> Got it. Thanks for sharing. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with anyone who is currently dead or living, who would it be? Mm, my master, Mahishwanath. Thanks for sharing. And this is something I'm sure our listeners would really love to love to hear. What is that one thing you do in the morning or in the evening before you go to sleep that has improved the, your your life or your quality of your life? One thing I do in the morning is to wake up and say, what a wonderful day. And one thing in the night, I lie down and I look at all the things I've done in the, during the day and said, I haven't done anything bad. <laughs> That's a beautiful practice, which I look forward to trying out myself. And if you could recommend one book, because you re recommended some books during our interview, but if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? I suggest that you slowly start reading the complete works of Swami Vivekananda. Start with volume one. Thanks a lot. We'll have all this up in the show notes and Action Tribe. Uh, know that if you would like one free audio book, that is listening to a book instead of reading a book, then audible.com is offering all our listeners one free audio book. All you need to do is go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. my7chakras.com forward slash free book. And if all of you are on Instagram, that is awesome. Then make sure that you take a screenshot of this episode and tag us on Instagram because we love to share your message with our community. My handle is at my7chakras. That's at my7chakras. And if you have any questions, comments, observations, anything at all that you'd like to share, uh, just email me. My email is aj at my7chakras.com. aj at my7chakras.com. Uh, so, Sriyam, thank you so much for coming on our show. Before you go, tell us one thing that you are right now and today grateful for. And how can all our listeners find out more about the wonderful work that you're doing? And how can they obtain or avail of your book as well? Please guide us. Uh, I'm thankful that I'm alive and I'm able to help people as much. Uh, regarding the textbook, you can go to Satsang Foundation, which is satsang-foundation.org. And you can find all, the, all my books. 
And if you want to beat me, go to a portal called Meet Shri M and contact someone called Lakshmi Kumar out there and then say you want to see me and she'll make sure that some arrangement is made. Thank you. We'll have all this information in the show notes. I have not met you in person. I have just met you in digital, but one of my goals is to meet you sometime really soon so that I can thank you for your time and maybe get some more wisdom from you. And from the looks of it, all our listeners truly enjoyed today's session. I really appreciate you for sharing your wisdom and sharing your story. This is such an honor. And yeah, finally, thank you. Thank you for talking to us about so many topics, Kriya Yoga, um, you know, different dimensions, the path of yoga, uh, your own adventure, your spiritual adventure, and really encouraging us to go beyond worrying about challenges, but really embracing life as it is. So thank you so much. And I appreciate thank you. Thank you very much and look forward to meeting you. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at my 7 That is my S-E-V-E-N chakras.com. 